It's Jared Waitley. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In this episode, Phil Davis joined me chatting through the AFL preseason scenarios. Tom Barclay on the potential homecoming for Ange Postacoglu. Paul Massara told us how Matt Damon came to own one of his horses. Wayne Hawks with some lessons in Vegas. And Mark Adams shared the mood in San Francisco ahead of the Super Bowl. You can get in touch at any time. Waitley at sen.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning on the last day of January. Tonight, Australian cricket will put a line under the momentous achievements of the past 12 months as the Allen Border Medal is presented to the Men's Cricketer of the Year. Pat Cummins was last week named the Sir Gary Sobers Trophy winner as the International Cricketer of the Year, and Usman Khawaja was acclaimed the Test Player of the Year. But I see Mitch Marsh might actually be the favourite for tonight's count for his deeds across all three formats and the way the voting system works. Be still my beating heart. What a thrilling prospect that is. Imagine if Marsh's comeback story culminates in the highest accolade. Now there's something to barrack for. And as footy ramps up, Carlton is emphasising the quality long missing at the club that served them so well last year. Stability. It was stability that allowed the Blues to ride out the mid-season horrors of 2023 and empower Michael Voss to conjure the preliminary final run. The historic bloodlust to sack a coach was quelled by the president and the chief executive. Luke Sayers is asking the members to approve an extension of his time at the helm, and he would seem determined to convince Brian Cook to commit beyond the end of the year as well. The contract extension for Michael Voss seems only to need the fine print sorted, and that's entirely appropriate. Voss has earned the additional two years and shouldn't be on the short leash entering the 2024 season. Let him get on with the job fully supported and endorsed. Stability. It's the new religion at Carlton. It's the new blue, and it suits them well. 0433 98 11 16 and 1300 736 736. Across seven years, we've had feisty Carlton discussions along the way. So give me your impression. Stability has taken hold. It has served plenty of clubs well. Are you prepared to endorse Luke Sayers as the president for a couple more years? You want Brian Cook on and Michael Voss. That's the biggest appointment. You don't want a coach entering the year in the final year of his contract. is It's counterproductive, it can be self-sabotaging, and it's totally unnecessary. They'll get it done before the start of the season. It's well-earned, and it suits Carlton well. Stability. 0433 98 11 16 and 1300 736 736. So we've got lots today. As we're going to talk Ange Postacoglu and the prospect of Spurs immediately after the end of the EPL season coming to Melbourne and what that might look like as a major event at the MCG. Wayne Hawks is going to come in. I think he's a Vegas kind of guy. See, I'm not a Vegas kind of guy, I don't think, at heart. Um, taking plenty of your advice on the must-dos and the must-not-dos in Vegas. You can email those, waitly at sen.com.au. But I thought as we're about to turn the calendar and March is not too far away, February is a heavy tune-up time for the AFL. So bring your friends close at this time of year. Phil Davis, let's put him through a bit of pre-season work, shall we? Phil was great with Kane on breakfast uh, last week, so we've asked him to just set the bit of the scene on some of the footy topics of the moment for us. Phil, welcome. 
Jared, great to be here. Good to be in the studio with you. How's life as a Melbourneite treating you? I'm definitely getting there. I've actually been surprised at the quality of the weather. Everyone obviously complains about the weather, but it's been it's been very nice. And you, you've taken on a couple of the local rituals. Do you go to the tennis? Go to the tennis. First time I've been there. I really love the idea. I went to the first day, Jared, and obviously there being a 15-day tournament this year, I thought the Sunday opener was awesome. Um just did the ground pass and just walked around for about four or five hours, popped in my head to a few tennis games. And I must admit, going to the tennis, I've been to the tennis fortunately enough on you know, Rod Laver, but the outcourts and the atmosphere around that is something else awesome. At the, it feels like just a thoroughly sophisticated modern event now. So what did, did you sort of see the various precincts yes. and bars yeah. and food and the like? They do a great job. I think it's like the ultimate balance between sport and social because you can just meander between both. You can walk in, you know, the lines every now and again to get into a court, but get out, you know, the, the pop-up trucks, you know, the bars, the atmosphere, the different cultures is also very, very cool. The flags and everything. It's a, it's a real spectacle and something that Melbourne did very well. You've lived your life in footy, so in, in Adelaide, which is mm. a parochial town, in Sydney, which is um, an, an outpost. What, 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 what do you think a footy season in Melbourne is going to be like? Do you have an impression? You yeah, have? I was actually thinking about that. I got asked that the other day, Jared, and I sort of thought it was going to be very interesting because in Adelaide, during winter, that is the beat of the whole city is the football, you know, bars can shut during a game and everything can shut. While here, because there's so much football, you know, between sort of three and six games or four, four five, six games a weekend, it's going to be, it's going to be very different. I've noticed that there's lots of footballs in this city. I think I said to you before, Joe, I see a football almost every day, which is <laughs> so different to uh, Sydney life. But um, I'm looking forward to it. I've already, you know, circled a few games. I'm making sure I get to the Richmond Carlton round one game. So, um, you know, really want to get to Queen's birthday. So King's birthday now, sorry. I'm really looking forward to, yeah, a few of those big games, but I'm not sure what the, the beat of the city will be during the season. It's really something. I can promise you that as having lived here my whole life. It's... I always escaped it, Joe. That's why Sydney was so good. Cause when you're playing, you're trying to remove yourself <laughs> yeah, as much as yeah. possible, get some, some normality. But I think now I might be able to immerse myself in certain aspects of it, which would be awesome. All right. Let's immerse ourselves in where we are right now. So Luke has texted through, no surprise. Carlton got their act together when Brian Cook joined best footy administrator of all time. Uh, he's right up there. Neil Baum and Brian Cook have been at stability seems to suit Carlton well. Yeah, I must admit, I, I was surprised when I learned that Michael Voss hadn't been extended already. Um, I understand that middle of last year, and I think that was probably one of the most courageous decisions of the 2023 season because, as you said in your opener, it felt like they were just going to sack him because that's what Carlton do. Um, but to see them stand by him and see the results they got, and yeah, it's a no-brainer now. They'll work that out. But as a player, stability is so important. I think you... When everything's going well around you, it makes it easier to put all your focus and attention on playing. And that's what Carlton can do now. So do you think it has a material impact top down if you've got leadership and stability and calm and reason that it filters through to a player group? Definitely. I think from ages 18 to 23, you don't really know what's going on and that's fine because you're so immersed. But once you get a bit older, you sort of, because you're trying to look at the big picture as well, you're always assessing it, working out what's going on. And when you see stability, you go, okay, I can take great faith in the decisions that are being made because they're being shown to be good because of stability. And then as you get older, you sort of look around, even older, like I'm talking 28, 29, 30, you can actually almost judge to an extent what they're doing as well. And then once that's all in line, you get harmonious football club and players because the young blokes follow the older players and then away you go. So to me, 
I always loved stability. And that was something that I found really important. Do you feel like Voss figured a lot out last year having, so he had the, the tough time of things in Brisbane and then he went and schooled himself. He did the, the thorough apprenticeship to prepare himself for those sorts of moments. And then he did, he, he navigated just some awful times through mm. the middle where there was a very real risk that it could have all self combusted, but he was able to hold the group together. And evidently there was clarity and leadership to rectify, to recognize first and then to rectify what was wrong in their game. How, how does that serve a coach? Do you think? Yeah. If you, I think if you sort of look around and say, who's had almost the most complete uh, road to get to a place to be experienced enough to have success and Vossi would have to be up there like his career was obviously as a player was just unbelievable. You transition from that relatively quickly into a senior coaching gig in Brisbane. So just a little bit out of the spotlight, it doesn't go well. You park the ego, you go to Port Adelaide, a little bit off the track as well. You do a, an enormous <clears throat> apprenticeship and then you go, okay, I'm ready to go. Gets one of the, I think the biggest jobs in Australian sport, like Carlton, just enormous. You take that things look positive because you step in the right direction then you get the full experience of a big club. You handle it with aplomb. Like he was so cool and composed, turns the ship. And now we get to a position now where I feel like he's seen all the seasons. He's got an amazing list. And I, I personally went to chat a couple of weeks ago um, with a friend of mine and we we're talking about aura and we had on this show as well. Voss has got aura. Yeah. Like as a player, like I would want to play for Michael Voss because he is the captain. He is, you know, he is Mr. Like, incredible leader and that galvanized you plus he's now got experience he's got the scars um yeah i think he's in an amazing position to give them success when you think about carlton this year so it it's not a given that they mm. will pick up the threads that they had at the end of last year um which saw them run to that that thrilling preliminary final um do you have faith that they will I do. I've got. I've definitely got question marks. But in saying that, I've got question marks on every team, yeah, really. Yeah. So that's probably not saying anything amazing. But no, I think there's a big part of them. I have like for me, the weedering injury is not ideal. I'd like to see how that pans out. Silvani really hurts them because I thought that's where they're going to add some versatility because I thought they would be able to play Deconi in the ruck full time, Silvani pinch hit, and that would make their forward line smaller. But without Silvani now. Do they play Pitnett and DeConing, Mackay and Kerno? So that's the only thing is that I thought at times last year when Voss got forced into playing small, that was when they got playing some of their best football. So I believe in them. There's still some proof that I'd like to see before I go. They're a definite prelim team again, or they'll take that next step and win one. Gavin from Albury's text too. I very much hope and pray we have the three men in charge at Carlton for at least another two years so they can deliver our 17th flag. I'd much rather this news in the preseason than the sad news of Silvani last week. We, we are going to talk injuries, untimely injuries, the the annoying ones and then the devastating ones. Is That, that was just so heart-wrenching for Jack, who'd lived last year not knowing whether he was going to be mm. at Carlton or not. Um, made the late run, but wasn't quite wasn't quite there to be able to play in the preliminary final, and now he just gets wiped out. It's cruel. Yeah, I think um, from my experience, I've, I've seen a few ACLs in preseason, and they are without a doubt, especially the timing. You know, at this point of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, you sort of getting back end of January, we get a four day break usually around this time. You know, once you get on the other side of that two or three weeks and it's in season program, which is like an absolute gift, Jared. It's the greatest thing ever in season <laughs> program. 
So he's probably just about to taste it. He thinks his team's going to be very successful and then bang, the whole year's written off. The only advantage is that 2025 will be a clean run for Jack. That's, that's the only benefit. So obviously sometimes if you do it round 10 or 11, you get half of this year, but then your next, um, your next program 2025 is interrupted. So that's the only silver lining is that 2025 will be fully, which doesn't mean much to him right now. If you were in charge at Adelaide, would you extend Matthew Nick's contract coming into the season? Uh, yeah, I'm very big on, I like the idea of just giving someone one year saying, Hey, we would like to extend you for further, but just to give you complete mind, you'll be here in 2025. Here's one year. We'll work on the details of what the extension beyond that looks like. Uh, I'm not sure if he would take that or how that would look. I just think for me, I've always, I don't like it going to a press conference and be like, what's going to happen. And we didn't really experience that in my time at the Giants. Sort of Leon just all of a sudden was gone. We had about three weeks of it and he was, and he was gone. Uh, we had a bit of time at various periods, but he always had contracts. So I think personally, I think he deserves two or three years, but if they don't feel comfortable doing that, extend him by just one year, have a trigger that they can cut him if they really need to. But in my mind, get rid of that question of, will he be there in 2025? So that's the risk, isn't it? Is putting a coach into the last year of his contracts puts him on trial. Now, sometimes putting a coach on trial is the exact right mm. thing to do, but more often than not, it is counterproductive mm. and it risks. So I think back to the Ken Hinckley scenario of last year, it, it becomes the whole defining quest for Port Adelaide. Will Hinckley get the new contract? It, it's, it almost overwhelms, well, can they be a top four team as are they in premiership contention? Is So I think if you know you've got, as soon as you know you've got your guy yes. and Carlton and Adelaide know they've got their guy for the moment. Mm. That they haven't run to the end of their quest. Um, they're still building on the exact path that the clubs had prescribed for them going. So Nix takes up the rebuild job. It's not his rebuild. He's handed it. Mm. And I think he's meeting the right markers. If they were, if they had a hiccup this year, I wouldn't see that as the end of no. his run. So if that's their internal thinking... Don't, don't let the walls close in because you can pretend that it doesn't infect, but there are, there are so many case studies that it gets inside the walls. Oh, it definitely does. Without doubt, Jared, I, I think from, from what I've always seen is when you go to a press conference and no one wants to talk about the actual football, it's just frustrating as a player and as a football club. It's like we've, you can see everyone gets frustrated, don't they? It happens every time. It's like, we're not going to talk about this now. We're not going to talk about this now. Well, it just is always going to be asked. And it might be a 0.2 of a percent, but it erodes something and it's frustrating and can galvanize a group. I've seen, I've heard of stories where clubs and players have gone like, we actually want to do this for the coach, you know, and that actually can galvanize you. To me, that's the rarity versus the frustration and distraction that it can provide. So I think the early signs out of Fremantle, so I don't put any stock in that story that was written that the Dockers will keep tabs on Luke Beveridge as the replacement for Justin Longmuir if it all goes pear-shaped. Mm. But that's sort of the start of the erosion, I reckon. And it it puts them, it just, it just and it, through no fault of their own, it just sets an early tone. And I wonder what it looks like to a player group. Okay, so is our coach on trial mm. this year or not? Is that is that going to be a big part of our story? Well, I would, I'd be, if I was sitting there and I was, you know, Brayshaw or Luke Ryan or whoever it is, I know that this year is very important. We will track in the right way. Did we have an anomaly or are we no good? And they would have heard that 
the media were chipping away at Longmuir's game plan. It was too slow. It was too boring. He now doesn't have a contract. Wow, beverage has been mentioned. I think that all permeates the walls. It does. There's no doubt about that. It just depends on how much players will listen to it. Some will listen to it more. Some will listen to it less. But to me, that's the to me that's the biggest coaching story of the year is Longmuir. I, th- I think he's under the most pressure. Yeah, I think I always have that delineation. Some people are under pressure to do the job and some people are under pressure to keep the job. And I think Longmuir is in the latter category yeah, I now. Yeah, think, I think it's got to a point now. And I like their list. I don't love their list. And I think sometimes we as uh, an industry go after the coach and I think to myself sometimes, well, who's put this list together? And also, who's developed the talent? We've all said these young kids are really good. Like, look at, I look at, you know, North Melbourne have got a lot of good players for a long time. But a lot of the young players have turned not to be the players that we all thought they would when they were drafted. But why is that? We always blame the coach. That's the first person that we go after. But it's a program. And that's very different from a coach. A program is bigger than the coach. Phil Davis in the studio. A bit of footy chat. The different phases of the preseason and what the move to February represents untimely injury. Jeff in Richmond, I think, has injury on his mind. Hello to you, Jeff. Okay, Jared. How are you going? Very well. Look, I reckon the uh, deflection in uh, Western Australia is going beautifully for um, West Coast again. Um, poor old Justin Longmuir. He gets put under the pump by the press over there and Adam Simpson getting away again. Again, West Coast, that little club that I've barracked for, for since inception, just doing things without people noticing. Liam Ryan signed a two-year contract the other day just after he pinged a hamstring again um, after playing three games for the club last year and kicking four goals. And they just continue to do it, Jared, where they continue to go under the radar, signing people, whether it be players or the coach, with just no outcome. So no wonder Justin Longmuir is under the pump because the deflection game's already started at West Coast already. So, Jeff, I heard Dermot Burton say last week that he thinks West Coast will be worse. And is it life of Brian worse? How could it get any worse? What, what, what do you <laughs> think is about to happen at West Coast? Oh, look, I think the change should have happened, but it hasn't in regards to the coach. You know, and that's, that should have been done. Um, and I've hung on. I think now yeah, I feel, feel you know, sort of upset for young Harley Reid and the pressure that he goes into the season with. You know, the other young bloke that went across there, Archer Reid, he lasted two sessions before a long-term injury. You know, Dom Sheed's out with a long-term foot. Um, Tim Kelly's out with a hamstring. Like, the people that they need to have around those young guys to be, you know, a force ever again are not going to be there again, Jared. You know, and, and Dom Sheed's a crucial player in that team. As much as everybody thinks he's a bit player, he's crucial in that side, especially with the young fellas. Jeff, you're following it closely. Thanks for your call this morning. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to join in. The 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. The different phases of the preseasons and the different ways of going about it. The inexperienced team, the new coached teams, and those who really know what they're doing. We'll explore that with Phil Davis next. I've been at clubs where you, you get, you know, you're two weeks off and then you're a training program that's very regimented. It's this day, it's, yeah. it's all mapped out and it's all very like this. And the approach here is very different in that we still haven't been sent out a program and because the whole idea of it is to have self-driven athletes, which I, yeah. I've never even thought of that, but it's like if you need support in an area, whether it be strength of the, your weights or you're running, you can seek out a coach, but it's like, a self-driven athlete shouldn't be told what to do. It's like exactly you go right. figure it out yourself. So today's session, like we made that up ourselves, exactly which right. you know we might not have nailed it, but I like the idea of it. 
That's Tom Mitchell on Collingwood's preseason from the Ball Magnets podcast. Just by way of illustrating the different sorts of preseasons that would be happening. So I can imagine it. I mean, with Phil Davis, I can imagine at Richmond, there's a lot of teaching and learning and they're feverishly trying to bed down what they want to do. Collingwood and Geelong, I think, have been in that age of the self-driven athlete where they very much know what they're doing. So what would the spectrum be like, Phil, do you reckon? I've never seen a spectrum like that, Jared. That is as far away from what I've seen in my time. I think that would have given 18 fitness staff a heart, heart attack, yep. just listening to that. Um I like the idea. I remember having long conversations with people along the way being like, well, why don't we weed out the people that aren't committed? And how do you do that? Well, you actually pull back the frameworks around players and find out who's motivated, who's not, blah, 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 blah. And the general consensus was you just lose too many. So it's, yes, very, right. interest, it's very interesting hearing Collingwood say that. But there is a very fine line between uh, that. Like, So I've trained with Tom Mitchell once or twice in my time, just across the ways. And like, he just seems like he's going to be a coach one day. So him, for him making up a session, wouldn't be that difficult. Like he ran this session. It was like eight of us, all AFL players, <coughs> excuse me. And he, um, he basically took over as eight of us. And like, he ran the session and he was very, very impressive. So he's obviously got a wealth of knowledge, but then there's people at the other end that don't really know what there's to do. And, and their job is probably to uh, line up with a Tom Mitchell and go for the ride. But for me, that's on one complete end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, which is much better now, is you document everything you do, you report it back, et cetera. And, that, and the AFLPA have done a great job in making reporting back not allowed anymore right. because that became really invasive. Like We used to have to do a session and by midday have uploaded it. What happens if I've got a family breakfast, Jared? It was like, well, no, that doesn't count because you have to have it up by midday, otherwise you get in trouble. So that got eroded, which was very nice. But... Listening to that, I, I can't believe that. But like, it's, it's what, I, what I have seen a lot in my time is you give me the program, I'll look at and look at the sort of parameters that I need to hit. Let's say 10 kilometers, 200 meters of running above 24 kilometers an hour, a bit of change of direction. I'll look at that and be like, okay, I like that part of the drill, that part, that part, that part. I've done this stuff before, which I think is better for me and better bang for buck, and I merge it together. Yep. I would say that's probably more the norm, but to have like nothing, like them is like, it's I'm I'm finding it hard to believe almost, yeah. Jared. Yep. Is that the, is that the privilege of being the premiership team? Until they say you're complacent, yeah, that's that's the privilege of it. But no, I think there's no doubt, and I I experienced this sort of secondhand now. But with with Adam Kingsley, the first preseason was like that I experienced with him was like we were animalistic on detail. Like it was, everything had to be perfect. We're learning new drills and that sort of whole preseason basically was learning what he wanted and retraining habits. This year, from what I've been told is basically day one, it was like, let's go. We know what we're doing. Yep. Away you go. And so you see, you think at Collingwood McRae, now into their third year, they all know what he expects. They all know what needs to be done and that makes it significantly easier. And they're obviously not changing too much. Change needs teaching but status quo and tinkering doesn't need too much. So the cramming that Adam Uze and Richmond oh, yeah. were doing. Yeah. So I thought you described, you gave us the best description that I've heard of it. We used to do A, B, and C, so you, and you knew A, B, and C, A, and then you have to retrain your brain to go, now we're doing X, Y, and Z yeah. in the exact moment and how long that takes to bed down. Yeah, it's funny. In the end, Sam Taylor had this sort of um, 
this profit moment when he said, we'll be average for the first 10 weeks, then we'll be hard to, to beat. And at the time, I was like, Sam, what are you saying? <laughs> like, you're killing us here, mate. You're killing us. But it was true because, like, even I found when I was running around, I was like, I wanted to do something, but then my brain would catch me. And I just, and that's actually slowing down your decision-making execution. So until that becomes automatic, and it is a big difference. I'm sure Uze, what he's going to do at Richmond is very diff- different to what Dimmer Hardwick had done for a long time. So especially old players, they're going to find it far more difficult because it's just time. Like Dimmer started coaching 2010. It's a long time in one system or one version to change. And yeah, you've got to teach yourself to make, make those decisions instantaneously. We are with Phil Davis talking pre-season preparations. Um, we'll talk Melbourne in a moment. Matt Forrest, the AFL Chief of Staff Herald Sun, has just tweeted, uh, Clayton Oliver will train with Melbourne today on a modified program with the rehab group. I understand he returns to the club sessions on Tuesday. Great signs for the superstar demon. Uh, we'll explore that with Phil after. Nathan in the newsroom. Phil Davis is in the studio. You are such a great source of knowledge out there. It is just before I read that from the Herald Sun, uh, 920 had tweeted, had text through Clayton Oliver at Gosh's Paddock training with the whole team today. This has, this has been the most intriguing scenario. I heard you talk to Kane about it and, and what the, what the bigger picture might have been. It's not. So they're going down a different path. What I was wondering about, well, so Oliver's been doing his program separately to get himself ready, but he's missing all the time with the group while presumably they are working on strategy and planning, not just fitness. How inconvenient, so never mind the why, how inconvenient is it not to have a centerpiece of your midfield setup with you for a big portion of the preseason? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think... In the midfield, it's a little bit interchangeable this time of year. I think as long as Clayton understands what he has to do when he comes back, he's just played so much football with Petrarca and Viney that I think he'll have that chemistry. It's not like it's if it was in, if he was at Richmond, I'd be like, this isn't great because there's a whole new thing going down. How we're going to play? We actually need that sort of chemistry. But stability has been at Melbourne. They know what they're doing. I think it's not as big of a deal, and especially him and how he plays. Because he's a hunter, we all sort of know what he's going to do. His teammates know what he's going to do. His role will be very, very clear. So I think it's less less serious than other positions and at other clubs. How intrigued are you from the outside looking in? And we don't know how this mm. is going to play out. And we know some, but not all, of the internal machinations. It. It is one of the more intriguing scenarios I've seen, given that this is the start of the long-term rich contract, essentially the biggest at the club, um, and the very public notice that he was put on by his team, by his club. Yeah, it's been a fascinating um, experience. That trade week last year was crazy. I, I, I wasn't expecting that to be how that played out. But I understand why they did. They were firm. They were strong. They were obviously trying to get the point across that standards are for everyone doesn't matter if you're our best player or our worst player. This is what we do. You know, they've got some really strong leadership down there as well from, you know, obviously from administration to Goodwin to, to Max. But I'm fascinated for a lot of reasons because I want to know how long have they been dealing with this? Have they been able to help him manage it? And then last year was just it reared its head with the hamstring and, and all these factors. He's barely been injured for, for a long time. 
But now on the other end, it's like, all right, we've got a seven-year contract here. Are we making decisions to make him available to play round one? Or are we making decisions to be the best player he possibly can be for seven years? And to me, obviously, we, we can't draw a conclusion on what they've decided by him coming back now. But I hope that the decision has been made for what's best for Clayton, the person, then for the seven years, and then for round one. There, that has to be the priority. Yep. And you know, obviously, I can't judge if it is or it isn't. But from the outside, that's all I care about because that's the most important because we all get just absolutely absorbed in round one. Like it is the everything. But it's amazing to find out that round eight is worth four points just like round one is and some of us don't turn on round eight football. So <laughs> that's the thing for me in this situation. I'm fascinated with that. And then the bigger picture is if Melbourne aren't going well at round six or as well as we think we have, talk about pressure. That will be boiling point down at, um, at Melbourne. Yeah, I think I think Melbourne and the Bulldogs are the two most interesting clubs coming into the season. If you said to me, Melbourne finished second, they go, oh, yeah, of course mm. they finished second. If you said to me, Melbourne finished 10th, they go, yeah, yeah, well, they had all these things going on. I, I can understand how that happened. Um, so it, it's, it's an amazing entree into the season for a team that is well-established up the top end. I think if we all reflect back, let's go 2018 for one second. We go, wow, prelim. Yeah, got out of control against West Coast. West Coast, a great team. What's about to happen here? Hit the skids for a couple of years. And then that premiership in 2021, we go, all right, they're going to win. I thought as, a, as an opponent, how are we ever going to beat these teams for the next three years? I was like, Oliver's so young. Petraka's so young. Gorn's still in his prime. Their back line you can't score against. Their small forwards are very good. Yeah, they've got a bit of weakness in their key forwards, but if they can plug that. I was like, this team's going to be incredible. And we sit here right now with back-to-back straight sets exits. Still a great list, but their question over there is, well, what are we going to do to maximize this? Because there's still, to me, there's still a big window. Max is the window. That's yeah. that's the point. And he turns 33 at the end of this year. Is Bontempelli the window at the Bulldogs? I feel like they've recognized they're on the clock and they've done everything they can to get their ducks in a row right now. Yeah, I think I think there's no doubt that to have a generational player like Bontempelli running around your midfield, I just wonder with the doggies, have they kept moving with the speed of the game around the ball? They've got the I think arguably the best ball winner, one of the best balls I in Liberatore. He's incredible. McRae's very similar. All these teams are playing these rapid fire mids, and I'm looking forward to seeing if they try to pivot into that space a bit more to complement obviously what Marcus can do in that forward line and move the ball quickly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Marcus is still young. He's done, he's done a few miles though, because he's done so much for that football club. But yeah, I've, yeah, doggies, Dockers, Melbourne for me have got the brightest spotlight, spotlight on them. Phil Davis in the studio, our pre-season footy chat before we turn the calendar to February. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. He's um, big, he's fit, he's powerful. If you somehow could manufacture having him and Pat around the ball at the same time, um, they're pretty hard to defend, I reckon. That's James Kelly on the idea of Tom Stewart playing midfield. How experimental, how experimental is too experimental, Phil Davis? Well, you've got arguably the best backman in the comp just, just floating around in your back line. Um, what I will say is at least they've identified that maybe their midfield needs a bit of bit of pep in it. Obviously Guthrie last year being injured was significant. Um, 
don't know. If I think if you've got an ace of spades, maybe just keep it as an ace of spades is my general view. But the other thing is if you're Tom Stewart and you're just awesome at what you do, do you just need some variety? Maybe just wants a little two-week spice up to run around the midfield and just break that 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 feeling of just dominating the whole time. I don't know, but I understand. I I, I always like hearing those stories because I think it's like, wow, that's really cool. But at the end of the day, five All-Australians in seven years or something like that, he'll get six this year. Um, yeah, I think he'll play back. But I, I always like that. I enjoy those stories. They're very good. The AFL side of things is uh, clearly they put the feelers out to the clubs around the adjustments to the rules that would make the Maynard smother on Brayshaw a suspension. I feel like in the immediate aftermath of the way that went, this was always going to be the, the AFL's stance. Would it be the right one? Yes. I heard Maynard talk about it. I enjoyed his comments because we've just got to change our behaviours as players. We've just, since we were five, we played a certain way. And if it was okay, but then once things change, we saw great improvements in the tackling very quickly. And in this situation, it's just, to me, we can't risk the injury. You look at all the reports around the concussion and all those things. It's the participation and fans, you know, sometimes aren't always aligned in what needs to be done, but participation, we need to make it a safe game that when people between five and 10 are deciding girls and boys, is it a safe game to play? Can we make things that don't ruin the fabric of the game? to make it safer. And to me, just train the habit that when Maynard jumps, instead of twisting and bracing, he puts his arms out and and pushes or something like that. So I think it's the right decision. If it was your choice, would you go four on a sub or five on the interchange for the year? Four on the sub. Yeah. I I think we're just, coaches are very sneaky and they're very good at playing the, the, the political line of getting changed. But, you know, it was three in a sub and they said, that's no good. Let's go four. They're like, what happens if someone gets concussed? Four and one. Well, why not have five? Well, why not have eight? You know, that's <laughs> like, they're just very good at, they, they work that very, very well. But no, keep it four and a sub. Unless, I thought we went down this path a while ago about making the players more tired. And yes, we've got interchange capacity. I understand that. Five makes sense to me if the AFL sat there and said, we like two Ruckman. We want to get two Ruckman into the game. Because the 75 cap will always limit, obviously, speed on the game to an extent, to an extent. But you could play two Ruckman on and off the bench with a fifth man on the bench. But to me, it's not worthy of playing five. And given that we're about to turn into February and there's no articulated plan, is it too late to introduce a mid-season trade period for this year? Yes, I think so. I, I think like any good trade period, you need time to plan, prepare, scope all the iterations of what could happen and how it could be manipulated and but also as a player, you know, you want to know what your plan is going into the season. And that's a big curveball. If, you know, there'll be someone out there right now, it could be even a Port Adelaide Ruckman going, well, if this didn't go well, if I'm nowhere near it, you know, Jordan Sweet, do I need to look to go to somewhere mid-season? You know, obviously you wouldn't, but I think it's too early. It's too quick. What are we, let's say Feb 1's tomorrow. When do you reckon mid-season would be middle of June-ish? Yeah. Ish? Probably a window, maybe all of June. That's, that's too fast for me, Jared. What do you think? How fast could they turn around? No, no I, I think it's gone too far for 2024. They could announce in February that it's coming in 2025. So I feel like you have to have the run-in to make, to have your contracts in order. And you also have to have the, I feel like you have to have the players entering a calendar year knowing, hey, there's this possibility in the middle that I could use or I could end up being exposed to. I, I don't think you can drop that with four weeks to go till round one. 
how long till you think that they might go, well, you might not be at this club at the end of this year and you can't choose? Uh, I think that's a long way in the yeah. future. Yeah. I, I suspect I suspect it will happen because that's that's common around the world. We would put safeguards around it in the mm. AFL. You've obviously sat on the PA. I think there's a world in which that is the norm and it is useful. So you're guaranteed tenure and contract, but you're not guaranteed location. Mm. I don't think that's insurmountable is the, the cost of moving from Melbourne to Perth or Perth to Sydney, but there'd have to be a real framework built in. And I think a generation of player would have to know that that was the possibility rather than just dropping it on the current. No, I think, I think that's where it probably ends up. And especially as you said, the safeguarding element, because the thing that I think we sometimes get lost in is that yes, AFL players get very, very well paid. That's fantastic. But when we compare us to soccer or NFL where, you know, my wife works full time and we all of a sudden say, okay, you have to leave your job as well. If you want to be with your partner, your kids are in school, all these things. And yes, you get paid well, you know, five, what's the average wage? $450,000. Well, it's not $45 million like in in America. And and, and there are other factors that, that, and then before, because the biggest concern I have down that path is, all right, well, I just won't play football then because it's not worth uprooting my whole entire life for this. And that's why I think eventually there'll be like, maybe the first iteration will be plays below X amount of dollars can't be traded without consent. Yep. Yep. I think that differentiation, which I know the constituency doesn't make, but there's a difference between $450,000 a year and $450,000 a week. Mm. And that, that is the comparison we're making. Yes. The dollars in those sports where you can be zipped from one city to the next are astronomical. You don't worry about childcare. Yes. <laughs> hey, Phil, great to chat footy with you at this time of year. No, thanks for having me, Joe. It was nice to pop in. We'll do it again in the, in the near future. Phil Davis with us here at SEN. Oh, we could talk footy with Phil Davis for a long time. Uh, Tim in North Bondi on the Carlton side. So there's always two sides to these debates. Carlton, Luke says, he says he has an obligation to stay on. Come on. Rules are there for a reason. This is a vanity exercise while he tries to make people forget he was the CEO of PwC at that time that was causing trouble. Turn it up, Tim in North Bondi. I think stability. It's been a long time coming at Carlton. It suits them well. It's the new blue. Uh, I get it. I I know what you're saying, Tim. I think typically in the past it would have been opposed to an, to a president thinking that uh, he should have the constitution changed just to continue on, but they've just reached this moment of stability to hold it together with the key people and let it run its full course over the next couple of years. That does make sense, but I'm not the one voting for it. The cross-section of your thoughts in our footy discussion with Phil Davis zeroing in on the pre-season as we're about to turn the calendar to February. The spotlight only comes on Melbourne if the early season form is poor. If they are winning games early, the spotlight isn't on until September. I think you'll find Essendon have gone uh, part the way down this path in the pre-season, telling players to come back elite fit and the pre-season will focus almost entirely on football and maintaining the fitness base. That's from Ross. On the Marcus Bontempelli discussion, Bontempelli sits exactly where he should in the footy psyche. As fully equipped as he is with his with all his great attributes, he actually has some minor flaws in his game that leaves him short of a great take your rose-coloured glasses off and maybe this season has him fully ironing those out. He's a solid 8 out of 10 every week. Don't get me wrong. 
His set shot kicking at goal may be the one attribute that bites him on the backside. That's from Ash. And David texts through, Jared, your Super Bowl bound, surely the end of the AFL season by needs to be replaced by a bye between the preliminary final and the grand final. So a cross-section of your thoughts. Phil Davis, a great footy conversation at the end of January as the preseason really is on the clock now. The scratch matches are three weeks away and then the formalised preseason and the first game, March 7, and the early start. Yesterday we heard from various sources the idea that perhaps Melbourne will stage a game with Tottenham Hotspur and Postacoglu in charge. And it doesn't take much imagination to think what that might look like at the MCG, for instance, a homecoming after we've been so engaged with what Spurs have been doing. Tom Barclay is our our correspondent. He's the, the senior football writer at The Sun. He's been a great source of knowledge to us the whole way through. So it's a few months, a couple of months since we've caught up. Let's check in on all matters Spurs, including these Melbourne games. Tom, it's great to have you back on the program. Great to speak to you again, Jared. It's been a while. Now, just before we recap what's been going on, what are you hearing about the prospect of a homecoming for Ange and Spurs playing the game in Melbourne? Yeah, it sounds like it's a possibility. Um, Tottenham are exploring that possibility at the moment. There's no Nothing's been agreed yet, but there is a possibility that three days after the end of the Premier League season, uh, so they played Sheffield United in their final game, they could be playing in Melbourne, for a, a, an exhibition match, a friendly. Uh, I don't have any details about which team they would face. Um, like I say, it hasn't even been agreed yet. It might not happen. But yeah, there's a chance that you know, all those all those massive Ange Postacoglu fans back in his hometown might get a chance to watch his team. If it was the MCG, Tom, is you could get 90 plus thousand people to that game. It, it could be an incredible homecoming. Well, that in itself sort of sums up, I suppose, why they're looking at it, really. I mean, if you could fill that kind of crowd, you could understand why. I mean, I, it, it might be slightly controversial for, for some of the players because, remember, you know, the likes of James Madison, who obviously is an English man, an England reporter, um, he's a primary focus, but, you know, Mickey van der Ven, a whole bunch of the squad will be planning on playing at the Euros, um, you know, within sort of a month after the season end so that kicks off june 14th over in germany so they'll be thinking about their preparations for that so i don't think in in there it would be ideal for them to go to a, a, a post-season friendly but you can understand why the the massive fan base that tottenham now have in australia why it'd be tempting all right so where do we find ourselves as we're about to tick into february so fifth in the league and just out of the fa cup how have the past six eight weeks been I mean, they've done well because they've been decimated by injury and suspension during that period. The likes of uh, Mickey van der Ven, as I mentioned before, Christian Romero, James Madison, all these key players. And then players suspended, then his player has been away. So Sun Hyung Min, the captain, who's been an absolute inspiration this season, uh, is still away at the Asia Cup at the moment. I think South Korea actually won today on penalties in dramatic circumstances against Saudi Arabia. So he'll be away for a little bit longer. Papi Matisal will be coming back because Senegal knocked out. But uh, I think at the moment, Yves is still away from Mali. So anyway, the point being, they've been missing a lot of their key players um, and they've kind of hung on in there. It definitely hasn't been as sort of, uh, you know, uh, one-way traffic as it was in the first sort of 10 games. They've had some um, some tricky results and some difficult um, moments, but 
They're only eight points off the top of the Premier League. I don't really think anyone is expecting them to to really challenge for the title, although Ange has not played that down. He was asked directly a couple of a week or so ago, you know, whether they were in a title race. And it was I mean, you'll know better than me, really, Jared. I'm starting I'm sort of catching up here with his kind of uh honest, kind of frank answers. And he was just sort of saying, Well, technically, when you look at the points difference, yes, I suppose we are. He wasn't saying, you know, outright we are definitely in for the title, albeit we all enjoyed it from a journalist point of view. But um, but yeah, that's kind of where he's at. And um, the only sort of, I guess, downer is they're out of the FA Cup. They were they were given a, a pretty about hard a draw as you could possibly get, albeit at home against Manchester City. And I was at the game uh, on Friday night uh, over here, English time. And um, it was a strange game. In fact, it was probably the most dull game of the Angera so far. Uh, and that sort of speaks to how entertaining it's been the whole time. Uh, but in the end, Man City's sort of... Um, they're, they're, as he said, a few years ahead of them and their quality sort of just about shone through and they were knocked out. As a comparison piece, it was a good one and, and Ange framed that in the aftermath, just how advanced Man City are against the project that that he is, you know, just months into. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's in my opinion, exactly the right way of looking at it. He said, you know, they're eight, nine years ahead of, of where they're at. And, and you know, we've watched with amazement uh, the Man City sort of story over the last decade or so and how they've, they've put together this unbelievable team with the greatest manager maybe he's ever ever lived, let alone uh, managed in the Premier League in Pep Guardiola. So the fact that Spurs sort of run them pretty close, at least from a scoreline, will have given him encouragement. But I also think he might have been a little bit disappointed by the lack, the sort of toothless element of the, of the, his performance, because he definitely prides himself on how uh, how they give it a go against anyone and and cause problems uh, and score goals. The first game he hasn't scored a goal yeah. um, against anyone. They did it against City away from home with that three all draw back in um, I forget what November or so. Um, but they, did, they only had one shot in the end, so that will be something he'll be slightly not worried about, but would be a bit disappointed in, in hindsight. And now, now it means. Spurs have the shortest um, amount of season, the sort of fewest amount of fixtures in one season since about 2006. There are going to be 41 games this year because they only got knocked out of the League Cup straight away as well. So, yeah, I mean, fans are disappointed because the the sort of cross that any Spurs manager has to bear is the the lack of trophies. I mean, one trophy in the Daniel Levy era of now 24 years, that was back in 2008. People really thought they had a chance at the FA Cup this year with that home draw, albeit against Man City. So there is a bit of frustration, but I think that's definitely outweighed by the overall, you know, overwhelming level of positivity and where the Postacogli project is taking time. It felt like the most fun exchange that there's been in recent times was when Ange was asked whether he dreamt of trophies and he replied that he has photos of trophies, which it looked like great sport. What was that like? Yeah, I was in that press conference as well. I mean, like, First of all, I've been on the end of a few of these uh, <laughs> these, these sort of um, let's say slightly withering put downs. It definitely puts you on your puts you on your game. You make sure you try and phrase questions sort of as as, as correctly as possible because he will he will shut it down quickly if uh, if you get it slightly wrong. And I think that was kind of the scenario uh, that played out for that particular um, one. I think everyone in the room sort of knew what my colleague who asked the question was was meaning. He basically meant. Have you thought of yourself as winning trophies at Tottenham? Because he he neglected to say the at Tottenham bit. Yep. Obviously, Ange, Ange came back with his totally fair point about how he doesn't need to dream about it, as you say. Um, but, you know, like today, 
at the press conference ahead of tomorrow's game against Brentford, um, there was another sort of enjoyable moment where one reporter sort of said, you're used to winning trophies every year, but obviously this year you're not going to win a trophy. And Andrew's like, oh, so we're not in the Premier League. No, no chance of the Premier League at all. And, and then the reporter's kind of like, oh, well, I'm not saying that, but yeah, maybe. And, and sort of, he can put you in a bit of a fluster sometimes. You have to hold your ground. And I think he appreciates when you do. Um, but yeah, it's, as I say, keeps you on your toes. So just the phase that it is. So they're fifth. Uh, top four is always, so that's the stride, but fifth holds its own peculiarities this year and they're five points clear of six. So just just paint me the scenario entering February as to where Spurs are and what they need from this next little bit of the fixture. Well, they've got a nice little bump from fifth to sixth. And as you point out, fifth might be enough for the Champions League this year. It's probably a bit too complicated to go into extreme detail over. But basically, if if the English teams do well enough in the in the European competitions this season, then next year or, or you know this season, ahead of next season, we might have five spots for the Champions League. So there is a chance of that. Although Ange did tell me in one press conference, when a question I asked, he said he's not aiming for fifth, mate, yes. was, was one of his answers when I said, oh, there's a chance of fifth. So that shows his, his ambitions are slightly loftier than that. But yeah, um, they're they're in they're in the hunt. Um, it feels like there's a sort of top five at the moment with Aston Villa, albeit right now as we're speaking, they're losing at home to Newcastle. So that'll be a good result for Tottenham if it can stay that way. Um, Liverpool and Man City. Man City are starting to sort of purr, having had a bit of a not a hangover from winning a treble, but they haven't really kicked into gear and they normally do in the second half of the season. They're starting to look pretty good, particularly Kevin De Bruyne back. Um, but and there's Arsenal as well. They've had a bit of a wobble of late, but they've definitely got a lot of a lot of quality and they're probably a little bit further down their line than, than the Postacod Blue Project. But um, the, the, the sort of benefit from Spurs' point of view is if they're getting all their injured players back, they're getting all their players back soon, if not right now, then it won't be long until the likes of Sun is back from the Asia Cup. Um, and I do think with the way Postacod Blue plays, injuries are just going to be a regular thing. It sounds like they were at Celtic and at other clubs. But, you know, I don't think anyone could have really envis- envisaged such a sort of crisis of injuries all at one one stage so hopefully from that point of view the key players like Madison Romero Van der Ven and they've signed you know Dragazin and and Timo Werner they've obviously brought in two new players since we last spoke suddenly the squad is looking a lot stronger and that and and the fact that they don't really have many fixtures like in fact February there's a bit of a gap because they were supposed to be playing Chelsea and that that game's going to get rearranged because Chelsea are playing in the League Cup final so they've got a bit of time that, that you know there really isn't any excuses from a sort of tiredness point of view, and that really might play into their hands. Slightly bigger picture, how how much of a bombshell was the Jurgen Klopp announcement at Liverpool? How did that reverberate? Absolutely massive. Yeah. Honestly, like it's quite rare these days with just how you know every cough and spit of transfer news, any news really in football, um, just gets picked up. I mean. You know, you're probably aware of Fabrizio Romano, who's, who's, who's done an unbelievable sort of job. This this transfer guy from Italy, journalist who's just on top of everything, and you know, it, it, he's kind of set the tone for this kind of like every every sort of phase of a transfer. I know we're not talking about transfer here, but for example, with it, with a transfer, you hear it every single moment. So the point being is, it's quite rare to, to for any much for anything to go under the radar. So the fact that nobody had it. That story that Klopp was, was stepping down um, showed you, I mean, showed you just how well they did to keep it secret. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp has been, he's got to be in a sort of top five 
managers in the Premier League history, maybe top three, definitely up, you know, up there with Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola, Arsene Wenger, and then Jurgen Klopp's probably the the sort of four managers that you you would think have been absolutely transformational for it for this season and and the, and the sort of battle between Pep Guardiola and and um, Jurgen Klopp has been Wenger versus Fergie sort of esque. And and at that game the other day, at Spurs versus Man City, we got a chance to ask Pep after the game, you know, what it meant to him. And and he was brilliant with how he talked about the rivalries had with Klopp. He said he'll sleep better now. He's <laughs> he's um he's stepping down. But yeah, absolutely massive. And to be honest, I actually asked this to 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 Jurgen today, uh, Jurgen to, to Ange Postecoglou today, um, whether. Klopp stepping down kind of opens the door for the likes of Tottenham, other clubs to sort of step into the limelight because there's been such a stranglehold in the Premier League between Man City, who won most of the trophies, but Liverpool have been right there with them. If they haven't won it, they've been so close and those two have been far away better than everybody else, generally. Um, does that open the door for the likes of a of a Spurs to sort of step in. And, and he was never going to be like, yeah, we're definitely going to make the most of it now. But you've got, you've got to get the sense that Spurs and Arsenal and maybe Aston Villa, if they can sustain it, you know, must be sensing a bit of an opportunity because even if Liverpool get get it right with the next manager, how you can follow someone like that. We saw it with Alex Ferguson when he stepped down, yeah. you know, how difficult it was for Man United to sustain it. So it feels like an opportunity, but yeah, absolutely bombshell news in, in, in an age where you don't get very much of it of that at all. In the first blush of names talked about as replacements, was Ange's name referenced to Liverpool? Yeah, a little bit. So I think that this sort of standout, like obvious name has been Xabi Alonso, who was linked to the Spurs job before um, before Ange took over uh, because of, he used to play for Liverpool. He won the Champions League there and he's doing an unbelievable job at Bayer Leverkusen, who are currently above Harry Kane's Bayern Munich in, in the Bundesliga, albeit it hasn't been in management for very long, but because of the Liverpool connection, that makes sense. Roberto De Zerbi, who's the Brighton manager, who, despite being battered by Luton tonight, has generally had an amazing sort of um, impression on the Premier League, is another name mentioned. But then, yeah, Ange as well. Um, he's obviously is well known about his his uh, sort of boyhood love of Liverpool, whether that really comes into things like these, you know, when they become proper professionals, I don't know. And, and and to be honest, from a personal point of view, when you assess Liverpool's squad, you think he could be actually high tier for them because just think of the way Pedro Porro plays for Tottenham. It's very Trent Alexander-Arnold-esque. You know, Darwin Nunes is the kind of pressing forward he's always in, liked. The 4 3 everything about it looks actually quite like set up for him. But, you know, personally, obviously, as a, I'm not a Tottenham fan, but I covered the club, you know, it, it would be quite sad to see him sort of, leave already because he's only just getting started with Spurs so I think um, I, I, I'd i like to think he would if if they were after him he'd still stick around at Tottenham because you know they're going places under him and there's a lot to lot still to be achieved here. I had a chat with a, a Spurs mate on the weekend and, and he referenced is there an underground rumour around Harry Kane wanting to come back and exact what is what <laughs> is that? I haven't heard okay. I haven't heard that no. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean he I, you got it. I mean, I did a piece the other day about Harry because we've been watching, you know, how, how it's been going. I mean, he's been, he's been amazing. Yep. Like his goal rec, his record over there is, he, I mean, he's definitely playing his part and then some. But because Bayern are struggling and more to the point because Bayern Leverkusen are, are just being, have done so well. Suddenly he's in this bizarre scenario where having never won a trophy at Tottenham, could that actually happen at the most 
you know, near to guaranteed silverware club in the world at Bayern Munich. But there's a long way to go. And actually, they've, they've caught up a little bit on that. But you do you do have to wonder, seeing as he calls himself a, a Spurs fan, you know, he's a Spurs man through and through, having come through the club. He must be watching uh, a fair bit of Tottenham at the moment and thinking, oh, you know, he could have really, he could have gone to another level in this Ange yeah. team. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'll be, I'll be stunned. Yes. You never know. It'd be amazing if it happened. Uh, so game day tomorrow. What, what, what are we expecting tomorrow? Uh, so it's 6.30 a.m. our time in, uh, that'll be a Thursday. Yeah, 6.30 a.m. your time, 7.30 p.m. over here. Um, Brentford at home. Brentford was actually the, Angie's first game um, away, you might remember, in the Premier League, which was, he remind, I've forgotten about this, but obviously Kane was sold like days before. Mickey van der Ven was signed days before. And then on the day of the game, uh, the game actually got delayed by about 20 minutes because there was no water at the Brentford Stadium, which was was definitely a new one. I'd never heard of that before. And actually, Ange said, he sort of looked back on it today, his press conference saying uh, he made a joke about how he felt like he might have destroyed the Premier League within minutes of joining <laughs> it from, uh, from that happening, which was quite funny. But yeah, Brentford is a, it, show, it will show how far they've come because that first game was... We didn't know what to expect, and it was a very open match. And they 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 got away with a not got away. They deserved a credible two or draw, but I think they've become a bit defensively better since then. Brentford have since got Ivan Tony back, who today um, who has been you know is banned for the first four months of the season, eight months in total because of this uh, gambling uh, situation. But everyone knows what a great player he is. And actually, Ange talked about he labelled him a great player, and he's one I, I wonder if one to watch, you know, in the summer because he'll definitely be. I'd be surprised if he wasn't on the move, and Spurs should be looking at him to be honest. But um, so he's another factor. But they're at home. Brentford aren't very good defensively, or haven't been so far this season. And with with Spurs, you know, James Madison, we're pushing to come back into start. Suddenly, with Timo Werner in the team, um, there's a few more options out wide. I feel like Brennan Johnson. Brentford actually tried to sign in the summer. Maybe it's time for him to drop to the bench. He's it's been quite a lot on his young shoulders to play every week, and his his form's been a bit patchy. But um, yeah, uh, with Spurs sort of coming to the boil with their players coming back, you you'd fancy their chances definitely. Tom, terrific to catch up. Always appreciate your time, uh, and we'll keep listening to the the Tottenham way and and reading what you're writing and touch base again in a few weeks. My pleasure, Jared, as always. Tom Barclay from The Sun. So that's the latest on Ange and Spurs and the notion of perhaps Spurs, I imagine, at the MCG at the end of the EPL season and what an event that might be. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks, Temper Text, Temper, a mattress like no other. And you can call 1300 736 736. I had a curiosity. So there's the MCG one day is on Friday. So this is in February once school has gone back. I was reading the age today and it said um, under 30,000 expect. And I thought, oh, that's a hell of a good number. Uh, if they got high 20,000s to that game, I'm just curious, is, is anybody going? And how have you sort of managed that? And are you hoping to see Jake Fraser McGurk make his Australian debut? It was great to hear him on breakfast today. So who's going to the one day or on Friday? A long way out of season to what that event has been in the past. 
Oh, in our um, our childhoods, that was one of the events of December. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. The Forty Winks Temper Text: oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Temper a mattress like no other. Melbourne's weather: partly cloudy, a top of twenty one. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. Whipped off the pads nicely. No need to run. It'll go to the boundary line and has a magnificent win for Australia over a team that's pushed them right throughout this series. Australia wins the first in Manuka, South Africa, a historical game in the second. But the Australians, the T20 World Cup champions, found enough to track down 162 runs. They got 163 for the win, and it's all smiles in Hobart tonight. You know, they've played some very good cricket. Cuppy was outstanding tonight. You know, as a fan of the game, I love watching her bat. I think, yeah, to get ahead heading into those ODIs, we know how crucial these points are, so it was a, a very good win from the gals. Australia victorious in the T20 series, the multi-format series against South Africa. So the one-dayers are next. They start on the 3rd of February, and then there's a test match at the Wacker. So 2-1, uh, South Africa, did they really did push them all the way, winning the middle game in that series. So very much alive. And a men's perspective, the MCG one-dayer, which was such a vibrant event of our childhoods, it's been staged on Friday, so way out of season and indeed out of the school holidays with the way the schedule fell this year. Who's going? I'll be there, Jared. The kids are bonkers for cricket at the moment. They are loving this Aussie team and now loving the the Windies too. Great excuse for a day off work. That's Adam going. And yes, Jake needs to debut at home. That's Cameron from Shepparton. Daniel going to the night session. David from Ballarat. Cricket at the G Friday, maybe. Would like to take my son, but it's a school day and we live in Ballarat and and Maxie isn't playing too hard. And Toddy's text through. Coach Nick has better advertising than Cricket Australia. I didn't even know there was a game on Friday in Melbourne until you mentioned it. Jake Fraser McGurk is in the squad. So I was I read the back page of the Age today and it referenced that fewer than thirty thousand will be at the G on Friday. And I thought that would be an outstanding crowd. Uh something in the high twenties, as we all recall, sort of the misery of sitting there um after the T twenty World Cup when those games were played against England and there was ten thousand four hundred and six and just uh, how far has it fallen in the glut of cricket that was being played that summer? This has been a very different construct with the World Cup and then the games in India. The test matches were late and the white ball is is way out of season. Uh, I feel like, and I I am supportive of this, is that there, are, there are governances around cricket selection, pecking orders and the like, which are almost... Um, they're almost concrete and shouldn't be stepped around. But in the case of Jake Fraser McGurk, that reality television selection, give the people what they want. I'm totally supportive of that. I think he should play on Friday. So much of the big batch ended up being framed around him, certainly when the Renegades played. So give him a look at Australia, see what he can do. It'll draw attention to the games. Absolutely. And it will give him a valuable experience and it will give the, the selectors a little look at him and what the future might be. It was terrific to hear him on breakfast today with with Sam and Kane, the career turnaround from where he was about this time last year. It's obviously an amazing feeling. You know, this time last year I was 
sort of in the bush a bit with um with where my career was going. Um, not really sure what I was going to do. So a fresh start of the at the um at the sack has really helped that. And I was sort of a bit like not quite sure where my cricket was at. Mentally a bit not not well. Just you know got offered a rookie contract from Victoria. Didn't really know what. I was going to do there. I wasn't really in sort of any teams. And then um, South Australia offered me a full contract and I was like, you know what, maybe a fresh start's probably probably going to be good for me. And then, and then here we are now, what, seven months later. Jake Fraser-McGurk and his desire to play for Australia and his desire to play test cricket while he's been seen as this short-form specialist. Well, I grew up, you know, watching... Michael Clark, Ricky Ponting, um, even Steve Smith now, who I'm in the same squad with, which is surreal. But um, just wanting to be out there and, and doing that for my country. And I think, um, you know, kids growing up these days see a lot of white ball cricket and see, you know, all the flashiness about it. But I grew up watching the um, the long form and that's sort of been where my passion is. And I think it's the pinnacle of of cricket in itself is playing the long format for your country. I mean, there's a reason why they call it test cricket and it's to test yourself out against the best in the world for a long period of time. So that's, um, that's sort of where my head's at in that. Jake Fraser-McGurk on breakfast this morning. So the hope that he might make his debut for Australia on Friday. I really think they should. I know that's with a side that has not even half of the World Cup winners there's the capacity for a bit of imagination in this and a draw card to an event that might otherwise be a little bit underplayed. Jimmy, I'm a proud Aussie, Jared. I'll only go to the G on Friday if Shamar Joseph is playing. He's not, Jimmy, unfortunately. He's gone back home with the toe injury, which is a great little insight into how serious that was. He was scheduled to go and play T20 cricket in Dubai, but he's gone home for the time being. He, he's not part of the West Indies squad there. So uh, it, it it doesn't have the star power, which is why I think Fraser McGurk as an addition would be terrific. And if he is going to play, Australia would do well to announce that ahead of time and let that momentum build. Jared, if the MCG opened up Bay 13 to Bay 1 as general admission again like years ago, you'd have 10,000 in the ground before the players warm up. Sounds petty and old school, but the removal of this space to general admin has hurt crowds in all formats. So clearly a, a long-term MCG goer there, 333. And Lee texts through, why isn't it Saturday? Very poor form by CA. Won't be going as have work. Well, they're playing Friday, which becomes Friday night, Sunday in Sydney, and then Tuesday in Manuka. So, yes, as Friday afternoon is school and work, but Friday night sport is an institution in here. So, yeah, who's going? one three hundred seven three six seven three six and 433 Shannon Gill's coming in tomorrow. We might reminisce a little bit about that first one day of the summer at the MCG and what a huge event that used to be. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. So maybe 30,000 at the MCG on Friday. I'll be at the MCG Friday, Jared. That's from Adam. I got my father-in-law and two brothers-in-law tickets for Christmas, so we will be there. I want to go, but junior cricket is on. And Adam from Docklands. This is timely. After hearing you talking about the one day at the G on Friday, I had a look at the MCC ticket prices and thought I might go along for the night session with my partner who isn't a member 
Until I saw a visitor's ticket is $72. Not many people go to 50 over matches anymore, and this certainly doesn't help to less people in the crowd Friday night now. That's Adam from Docklands. 0433 98 11 16, 40 Wings Temper Text, Temper a mattress like no other. There's plenty of you who are pre-season track watchers, which is great, is a flurry of text messages, including uh, Brucey from Thornbury, Clayton's back at Melbourne training, Clayton Oliver is at Demons training this morning, and on they've gone, I... Uh, plenty who have seen him at the track. Phil Davis was on in the first hour and, and he addressed that scenario. I'll play that to you again before the program is done. But the hope that Melbourne and Clayton Oliver prepare themselves for seven years, not for a couple of rounds at the start of the season, was an eminently sensible way of looking at things. A horse named Dale and a Hollywood actor in the ownership. We might tell you that story next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. You like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? (laughs) So Darren Flindell doesn't need my advice in any way. But if Dale wins the first at Kensington today, I want him to go with... How do you like them apples? It's the great source of amusement across racing in this country that the first starting two-year-old today in the ownership is M. Damon, and it is Matt Damon. You remember during COVID when he did that cross to the Today Show in the US and he was in the pub tab at Byron Bay? Anyway, so... We think he likes racing. Paul Massara is the trainer. The Massaras are such a great family of the Australian turf. Paul, it's great to have you on the program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. How does Matt Damon come to own Dale? Uh, a bit of a long story, really, but uh, I'll make it as short as I can. Uh, was, I think it was a late night over in LA, and I get a phone call saying, we've had this great idea, and uh, we want to buy a horse, but the stipulation is it must be called Dale. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and the story goes that basically uh, Matt and his daughter uh, kind of bonded uh, over her teenage years watching... Uh, watching Step Brothers, the uh, the yes. movie, uh, st- starring Dale and Brennan, the two characters, and Dale's their favourite. Hence the colours today. If you have a look, uh, blue sleeves with a uh, a checkered a checkered vest, which is uh, Dale's outfit in the show. Basically, <laughs> that's fantastic. So, what do we know of Matt's affection for horse racing? Well, I think it grew a bit when he came to Australia during the uh, the pandemic. And uh, as you know, not a lot was on. And uh, a good friend of ours, Paul O'Brien, who's uh, the mutual connection between us, uh, he's a he's a big fan of racing and uh, and all things all things horses. So uh, I think that's where the introduction came from. And uh, while he was here, you know, he started following the horses a bit. And uh, I met him during that period. And then over the last couple of years, we just. Uh, seen a bit more of each other, and then that the opportunity arose that uh, you know we're going to get a horse and we're going to call it Dale. So uh, Dale uh, came about. We had a horse that uh, he didn't sell last year at the uh, the Magic Million sale, and uh, he was coming along well. We broke him in, and I thought, you know what, this could this could be Dale. So you never know what they're like until you, you, you press the button. He's by one of our new stains, Castel Vecchio. He's a first season sire, but he's a big, strong, bold thing with a big white face and. Uh, he's a nice horse, so it's going to be interesting to see how he goes today. He's more of a kind of a 14-metre mile or more of a three-year-old type. I didn't envisage we'd be getting to the races this early with Dale, but um, he's had a couple of trials, and he's trial well both times. And as you know, in Sydney this time of year, everything funnels towards uh, the city races. There's not many 
kind of maidens over a trip in the country, so or in the provincials, uh, which he'd probably be better suited to. But nonetheless, here we are today. Paul, it's a pretty good name drop. Say you were sitting at dinner with Wayne Hawks and the likes and you wanted to one-up him. Matt Damon is a pretty good way to one-up him. Well, listen, the only reason I agreed to come on the show today is because I heard Wayne Hawks would have nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> um, and I can hear him sniggering. Is that yes, him in the he's barged through the door to be part of it. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, <laughs> Jared. I bet you he has. I bet you he has. Paul Massara, what's going on? <laughs> I'm uh, Wayne just on the way down to Sydney. Hey, oh, yeah. really? You know what? Don't stuff this up, yeah. brother. You reckon, you reckon there's no, not much pressure when you buy the $2 million top price horse at Sydney? What about when uh, you got the phone call and uh, every, you know, punter in Los Angeles that's a, uh, that's, that's a super mega star uh, movie star, they're all on this, you know that, don't you? Well, I've noticed that his price has gone from eight fifty into fives on the back of nothing other than the... Uh the fact that Matt Damon's horse and there's plenty of advertising, so that's one thing. But there is a there's a very expensive colt the race. Uh, the top lot, I think, from Easter last year is the favourite. So uh, I think the pressure's not really on me. Pressure's for ties. You know that, Wayne. Well, Hawks Racing <laughs> has 20,000 uh, Twitter followers. I think you, Jared, have got 120,000. How many Twitter followers has Matt Damon got? Just that if it gets beat, they're all going to know who Paul Massar is. That's so good. Uh, yeah, he'd have 22 rate, million, mate. wouldn't he? 22 million? Well, I don't know. He'd have enough. He'd have enough. But um, it's all a bit of fun and it's all the banter that goes around the horse running and everything else that makes it so much fun and the communications and everything else. So um, that's the important stuff. And uh, whether the horse wins or loses, uh, I guess we'll we'll find out today at 2 o'clock. But, um, you know, he's going to improve on whatever he does today. And I think he's a handy horse no matter what. It is great fun. So have you got, uh, are you in a WhatsApp group with Matt Damon or so j- just casually yeah. drop that in? Yeah. yeah, no, we're in a WhatsApp group and uh, so that's how we kind of, he's all over the place as you can imagine. So we send videos and photos and bits and pieces and, and photos of Wayne Hawks having breakfast and things like that. So <laughs> just whenever we can pop them in, we do. So you'd be up to about your third breakfast by now, wouldn't you, Wayne? It's 10.50. Yep, 100%. <laughs> I last missed my last Mr. Breakfast in 1986, Paul. You know that. <laughs> Just, just, know, just, for, just for the record, everybody, Paul and I are uh, our best mates, but I'm not sure whether we were best mates uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We were out for dinner. That was when the weapon, yeah. when the weapon came out at, uh, at the Magic Million sale. If anyone <laughs> out there has seen the ad, you can't miss it. Talk about Twitter followers. Um, you know, self, in terms of self-indulgence and publicity, no, I'm better than Wayne Hawks. So uh, I... Uh, I direct you to the SEN, uh, to the, uh, yeah, to the, the, the uh, what was it, the, uh, must be on their Twitter feed. Yes, and it is. Certainly on, certainly, certainly on yours. That so, bobbed up. Anyway, and, all, yeah. a bit of, all a bit of fun, all a bit of fun. <laughs> it looked like a Magic Millions um, billboard that had Wayne with I Am A Weapon. It was absolutely brilliant as it, it went was, around. And it was it was about naming from a stallion that I trained called North Pacific. So Paul and I and the wives are out for dinner, pre-Magic Millions horse sale, and Paul's baiting me going, oh, how's it going on Twitter? I said, I don't have Twitter, I don't care. So Paul is ordering mains, and what I don't realise is he's got his phone out and he's doctoring up this picture. So and, it, and my quote was, what a weapon. And if you don't believe me, go to Newgate and look at the horse yourself. That was the quote that was in the stallion brochure. So Paul's, ch- so they've put up what a weapon on the billboard. To so then Paul's put up and said, "I am a weapon." And uh, I did look this morning on someone else's Twitter, and it's up to twenty nine thousand hits. <laughs> payback, Paul. Payback. Let me tell you, two o'clock today, Dale. Let me tell you, this could be the start of my payback. 
Novak could be coming a few tails off today. But um, as Matt Damon said to me, he said, don't worry about it. He said, if he said for us nowhere, it'll be just as funny for us because it's called Dale and Dale's that type of character. So uh, he's a bit of a slow learner. So we'll just see what happens. But I'm sure he'll run an honest race. Whether he's best suited today or in six months' time, uh, we'll, we'll find out. But um, anyway, he's, he's well and... Uh, here we are, and it's good fun, and it's giving you something to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, it is great fun, Paul. Thanks for indulging us today. Good luck at, uh, at 2.20. No worries. I'm looking forward to hearing from Wayne. Thank you. <laughs> See you, mate. Paul Massara there. It's a good mic drop, as Matt Damon said to me. <laughs> Can't do much better than that. Dale, I absolutely love that. We want to buy a horse, but there's a stipulation. It has to be named Dale and the colours from the movie. Outstanding. Outstanding. We might get your, we'll just flick through your phone, see if you've got anything that could marry up anywhere near Matt Damon. Uh, Dale, right. How do you like them apples? North Pacific. What a weapon. He uses class. Peter, just put Dale in my black book. I'd better get on Dale with a few sheets, as Gary Lyon would say. Go Dale, Dale from Hobart. Very good, Dale. I'd be a little bit careful. Careful, but uh, it's good fun. It's good fun, and um, Paul Massara right into the spirit of it. Uh, on the cricket front, I'm going, Jared. Can't wait to watch Matt, the Cape Weed Llama, short, hopefully, play his first Aussie game at home. That's from Pat. I would go and take my two boys, but junior cricket under 16s is on at the same time. And I'll watch the cricket on TV, but I won't go. I don't go at all anymore. Tests or ODIs, I used to go all the time to both, but TV coverage on Fox is so good, I prefer to stay home and watch it or go to the pub to watch. So thoughts towards Fridays, one day at the MCG. Used to be December, used to be a huge day on the calendar in this this, uh, town. It's now out of season. Pointed out, it's still in summer, but it is out of season come February. Stack of messages around the cricket. So the one day at the MCG is on Friday. I live in Belgrave. I used to travel in all the time in the summer to Boxing Day and the two ODIs, qualifying match and the MCG final, and to the Bush Rangers ODI games. But now I can't be bothered. I stay home and watch it or go to the pub and watch it. It can be a long, hot day at the cricket. Rather watch in comfort. On Friday in Melbourne, what are we looking at? 21 degrees. Uh, no threat of rain. So... Yeah, interest, it'd be really interesting. As, as I say, I was reading the back page of the Asia said, um, just shy of 30,000. I thought that would be a really good crowd. Not not like it was in our childhoods, but that'd be a good crowd, high 20s, I think. And the theme, Matt Damon owns Dale. Great story. Wayne Hawks is here for Westbury Stud. Just jumped out of order a little bit. Hello to you, Wayne. Morning again, Jared. Famous owners that you've had? Um. Probably back in the day, I remember uh, the phone ringing and um, Mike Willisie rang. Oh, yeah. And said, uh, G'day, is uh, John there, please? My father. And I said, who's speaking? He said, Mike Willisie. I said, weren't you just on the TV? He said, yes, young man. He said, I've just uh, hung up and now I want to ask how my horse is. But haven't, uh, <clears throat> and as you know, I mean, he's pretty, was a pretty big yeah. uh, big name. Would he have been the equivalent of a John Laws or an Alan Jones scenario? Yeah, Ray Martin. Right, yeah, yep. yeah. So... I thought about internationally. Stevie Nicks had a horse with us for a uh, for a short period of time, but I never actually got to meet her, so yep. I can't actually say. But um, Shay Farhad, 
yeah, of yeah. the famous so that, that's uh, Eddie of, Head. That's a different Correct. level, isn't it? D- different, it's, different type of level. I mean, if you live in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi and those places, Sheikh uh, Farhad would be pretty, uh, pretty big name. Yeah. But as f- as far as personalities like that go, no, no, no one of any of that great note. But what what about the obsession over colours, which oh, is one of the fun huge. parts of owning a horse? Well, the, 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 one of the hardest things, and I reckon Racing Victoria and well, probably Racing Australia needs to make it easier for naming them because, gee, it's hard work trying to name a horse because, you know, there might be a Dale O that's eight-year-old running in North Queensland. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, are they ever going to clash? No, they're probably not. It's not easy to get a horse's name, but colours and the uh, – when you were talking to Paul Massara about the naming of, of the horse and then the, uh, the colours, owners have a mad obsession with colours and – there's plenty of owners out there, big owners that don't want to race a horse unless the horse races in their colours. Yeah. Did you ever have something? Oh, are we really racing the horse in these colours? Oh, you know, I reckon uh, Neil Werrett and Max Whitby had a uh, Neil Werrett is, uh, of yeah. course, black caviar fame. You've got Neil Werrett's colours and Max Whitby's sleeves. So they yes. put the uh, joined them together. They did win a race, Magic Millions Day. I think they run one race too, but they're two of the most disjointed colours I've ever uh, ever seen. If you look at Hong Kong, Hong Kong have a lot of uh, shocking looking colours of just putting dots and stuff together. And but it's uh, it's one thing that you know owners could produce. Oh, here's my lovely colours. You look at you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's a bit like a name. I remember I remember when I was a kid, we had a horse called Goose Lane. And um, he ended up being a very, very good horse. He had five starts, and unfortunately, he um, he got sick and he died. He only had five starts. We were in Adelaide. He won three in Adelaide and one at Caulfield and just got beaten at Flemington. And he was called Goose Lane because a bloke called Bob Teakle lived in New York, and obviously there must still be there. There's a place called Goose Lane in New York. So I never get hung up on the name because I reckon you were talking about Darren Flindell, the Sydney race caller. When Darren Flindell calls up first past the post – don't they just sound better? An Ingham yeah. name that copped a bit of criticism at her first race start was a horse called Shame. When she won the 1,000 yeah. guineas and she won the uh, Queensland size, she won two group uh, Group 1 races, no one looked at it negatively from yeah. the point of view of calling her Shame. So, of course, we've got our, uh, our famous Waitley, haven't we? We've got our, uh, our dog, Waitley. Yeah, We've got yeah. the, uh, the stinger for that, well, don't we? That, we haven't that, used that for a while. That was a trotter. Trotter, was it? Yeah, and Johnny O'Neill's got a horse. A horse called Waitley. Yeah, a two-year-old. You're very famous. Through. Very famous in the uh, Greyhound world, aren't you? Um, <laughs> I, there, there, I, I've forgotten the exact movie, but there was a, a line in a movie that uh, there are two types of people in this world, those that like Neil Diamond and those that don't. It feels to me like there's this delineation. You're either a Vegas person or you're not a Vegas person. I feel like self-declared... Shocked to no one. I'm not really a Vegas person. Oh, you think? I'm about to embark on my first trip there. I leave tomorrow night. I have a degree of trepidation. Oh, great sense Why? of adventure as well. It strikes me, Wayne Hawks, that you are a Vegas person. <laughs> would, would that feel right? It's radio here, folks, but I've got a fat smile on my face. And I've been to Vegas eight times. Eight times. I, I, I counted it up and I've been to Vegas eight times. I've only been to New York twice because I'd go to LA and you just wouldn't get past Vegas. So it was just... I mean, it's Sin City is the nickname, but it's not actually like that because I just loved going and lying by the pool, surprise, surprise, drinking pina coladas, doing nothing, having downtime. If you go to Europe, they don't have the big swimming pools and things like that. And do you know what I mean? Because Europe, most of Europe is old. So the, the hotels, as we all know, that have been there, they're small, they're tiny. And, you know, the, only, the closer you get to a swimming pool is if you get wet. In the, in the gutter when it's raining. So go to Vegas, chill out, 
14 hours to Los Angeles, 45 minutes. It's probably like going to Launceston from Melbourne, straight across the uh, the Mojave Desert, and uh, and there you go. But it's so I'm, I'm searching for advice. I put this out there yesterday. I've got a great swag of things not to do. <laughs> I've written them all down. I feel like I'm going to carry that card. I don't I'll make, make eye contact here. A couple that I can't read out on, on air, but uh, so I've screwed all of those down. And then I'm looking for recommendations. So I'm in your hands Where for are you Vegas. staying? Where are you staying? Uh, on the Strip. Yep. That narrows it down. That's yep. like saying you're staying in for Melbourne, you're on the P and Highway. It's a long road. Okay, okay. So I don't know. You don't even know where you're staying. I, Hooters. I, I, there is a, no, no, hang it. on, hang so on. No, I, no, no. There is a hotel called Hooters. There is genuinely a hotel called so Hooters. I'm, on, I'm in your hands here as to what to do and not do in Vegas. I'm also on the lookout for Australians who live there, if you know one and are happy to put me in touch. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks Temper Text to add to my list from yesterday, Temper a Mattress Like No Other, and especially uh, on the email, waitly at sen.com.au. And if you're going, if you're a 49ers fan or a Chiefs fan, I got a great set of emails yesterday of people to touch base with over there. So waitly at sen.com.au. We might gather our little community. Are you going solo? Uh, well, initially, yes. Joel Brooks is coming. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll rephrase this. Yeah. Are you going wifeless or wife? Oh, no, I'm going to work. Oh, this is work. I'm going to work. This is work. Okay. I want that clearly stated. No problem stated. at all. So have you, have you had the uh, the pep talk from Claire? No. No. I, no. I think she could give two hoots, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> gee, gee what, what a great wife. Great wife, great right, life. G- give, me, give me a list. So what am I doing? Well, I t- well I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you one thing you don't do. And um, being over there eight times, Jane and I like used to always just like, you know, go, uh, what am I saying, flying by the seat of your pants. So we thought we, we've had enough of Vegas. We'll go back to Los Angeles for a couple of days. Jane's got in line and gone, wow, there was like, it was, oh, it was probably 15 years ago, there was $40 seats. She went, $40? I said, yeah, let's go. Lunchtime plane, you know, check out at 10, straight across. And the airport is like next door. It yeah, is genuinely, yeah. oh, how would you say, probably, you know, Hobart to Hobart Airport, no, closer Adelaide Airport to Adelaide. It was right there, so you actually stay in the in, in some of the hotels and watch the planes land if you're down the end of the strip at the Manly Bay. So anyway, we go to the airport, jump on the plane. This plane is empty, and I mean three, you know, like like a normal Jetstar Virgin plane, right? Two fifty seats, thirty of us on the plane. Yeah, we get in the plane, we take off, and there's a couple of Aussies sitting, a couple of rows in front, but we had the whole row to ourselves, so it was like a business class seat for forty bucks. So we take off. Holy Toledo, Batman! So we get up and we start heading off, and then it starts going a little bit, little bit uh, wavy, let's say. And the, uh, I mean, it's so. Um, what am I trying to say? Back back in the eighties, we used to see those movies, and the the, the uh, she always had darker skin. She was the American girl, and looked like the um, the waitress. What am I trying to say? The airline hostess. Characteristic, exactly looked exactly like that in her fifties with the bun on her hair. Hey, darling. And my wife goes, can you tell me why they're so empty? She goes, oh, you'll find out. You'll find out. You'll find out. And we're going, oh, you're right. And off she walks with her trolley. Well, I've never, ever, ever been on a plane that has been so bumpy and horrendous because the middle of the day flying over the desert is the heat. So you've got heat rising and dropping and everything. So... It would be like on being on the what, what do you call the big slippery dip with the sacks? You know, as you go to the wave, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. The show, yeah. What at the royal the show? The, the slippery slide. That's exactly how it was. Right. And being on the mad mouse, you know, when you're mad mouse and your guts is left up there and you're down there, it was the longest forty five minutes of my entire uh, in my entire life. We got off the other in white. So do not fly home at lunchtime. Okay. And that's why there was nothing, uh, nothing, uh, nothing doing there. But. 
Don't get married in the Elvis Chapel, Jared. Yes, thank you. Yeah, especially when your wife's not there. <laughs> uh, Matt, we are heading over to the Super Bowl. More than happy to take you under the wing. Oh, Matt. Matt uh, we need to know more about that. Just grab a number there. Book a limo to pick you up from the airport. It's cheap and adds to the experience. Yeah, no, that, that, that's actually a fair call. Maggiano's Italian restaurant across from the Wynn is amazing. Also, visit the Wynn. I've stayed at the Wynn, and the Wynn is down the end of the strip, and it's a bit more, um, I wouldn't say for older people, but it's a, it's a lot more quiet and relaxed. If you stay in the middle of the Bellagio, places like that that are right in the heart of the strip, it's it's helter-skelter, whereas down at the Wynn, Wynn has two towers. One's called Wynn, one's called Encore. Yep. The young kids stay at uh, Encore, and um, we've seen uh, plenty of uh, famous people uh, sing and dance and whatever at uh, Encore, but Wynn's good. Okay, Pete and Q, Maverick helicopter to the Grand Canyon. Well, I've done that. But do it late in the Arvo so you return to Vegas at dusk as the lights of Vegas take over. Very special. I've actually done that. They, uh, the, we actually went Maverick. And what, what Maverick have is the, uh, how would I say it, flawless helicopter. So you can actually, it's a glass floor. Oh, right. So you can actually look down below you and... Yeah, you fly, uh, you fly over the over the Grand Canyon. You come down land, and you just I can't believe how fast this uh, this river's running. You then go over and see the Hoover Dam, and you think that's not very big. Wow, you can see why it took them however many years to uh, to build it, and the millions and millions of cubic meters of concrete that it holds was it Lake Mead, I think it is by uh, by memory. But uh, I'm sure someone will text in. I think it was Lake Mead. Then what you do is then you fly back over the whole strip and, and the caller that text, text in was right because you fly over the strip and you see the strip at, uh, at night. I reckon it was about a 1000 bucks a head when I went, okay. and, uh, went and did it. But it is – would I do it again? My wife took my kids six, five, six years ago. I said, no, no, I'd rather go downstairs and um, have a pina colada and a daiquiri and just uh, hang by the pool. But so do it once. Once. Well, it's one of those things. Once yeah. you've seen it once, it doesn't change. All right. Pete, thank you for that. Um, Colin Funky Miller is a cricketer in Vegas. Yes, yes. We'll uh, Hopefully we'll be able to bring him to Radio Row. That's, that should be good fun. What's the best show you've seen in Vegas? Oh, Michael Jackson's show was probably as good as what there is. I think it was at the Mandalay Bay, and it was a like a 4D thing that they did with yeah. Michael Jackson. They don't do that anymore, incidentally. Don't they? I don't think so. Is it gone? Has it really? I think so. Well, there you go. I was one of the lucky ones to uh, see it. The Beatles one is uh, is amazing, but a lot of Cirque du Soleil shows, and you probably yep. get a bit Cirque du Soleil'd out, and that's probably it's probably a bit unfair, but, you know, went and saw O, and O was uh, was half in the water and half in the air. And they would dive from 100 yeah. feet up and dive into the swimming pool. And it was a purpose-built stadium that back then it cost $45 million US dollars to actually have. And I've seen, oh, three or four times. But you must, must, must go and book in for one of the shows and go to at least at least try and, uh, try and do it. I, I, I saw the Beatles twice because I've got an idiot brother called Michael. And he said, starts at 7.30. I said, yeah, cool. So we got there at quarter past seven and went, wow, no lineup, no nothing. Show started at seven, didn't it? So we missed the first 20 minutes. So we had to go back the next time and have a look at uh, have a look at the Beatles. But the Beatles one was very, very good okay. there. It's very, very gifted in what they do. But I didn't see the David Copperfield one. Right. But um, Casper Founds has won premierships as a trainer yep. in Hong Kong. Great close family friend. Casper goes over there every year, stays at the MGM Grand in the pavilions and Spends a lot, a lot of money in the uh, playing roulette and um, baccarat. So he gets well, well looked after. So he is sitting playing baccarat 
and old mate sits down next to him. And old mate is David Copperfield. Right. Genuinely, it's David Copperfield. So Casper's a fun-loving guy and <clears throat> great talker and everything. So they get chatting away and happy days. And Copperfield said, are you coming to my show? Casper says, I'm not. He said, what about tomorrow night? He said, I can give you the, uh, you know, the front booth or whatever I've got because that's for mine, for my guests. You can come as my guest. He said, it's for four. He said, well, I've got a mate of mine called Michael. And I'll be honest. He said, uh, he said I've got a mate of mine called Michael and um, he's got a hot wife. Now, why I'm saying this, yes, okay, relax. It's my sister-in-law. Right. So I'm allowed to say that about your sister-in-law. Are you? Sure. Maybe not. It's done now. It's in Sin City, Jerry. We're talking about Vegas here, so all bets are off, okay? So Copperfield goes, noted, leave it with me. No one knows nothing. Yeah. So we get, they go to the day. Casper hasn't told Michael that he's got the tickets. He just rang Michael and said, hey, tomorrow night I've just bought four tickets to uh, Copperfield. You're coming. Michael said, I can't. He said, you're coming. He went, right home. So off they go to Copperfield. Nothing is said. So they're about five or ten minutes in, and um, Copperfield says, uh, I need a uh, participant in the audience. And he's looking around, looking around. Can I get you, Claire Hawks? Called her out by her name. Really? I promise you. Yeah. Called her out by her name. Now, you wouldn't, you would die, wouldn't you? If he had to said, Jared Waitley, up you come. So up comes Claire Hawks, up she lobs. And she put on a, uh, probably a welding gl- uh, glove is the best yeah. choice of words. And they put a real live scorpion in her hand and she looked away and the scor- he made the scorpion disappear. And to this day, she doesn't know how he did it. <laughs> so what happens is after, after that was, um, after it happened, he actually had a break. And so he then left with Claire backstage and Michael says to Casper, where are they going? He goes, well, he's making her disappear as well. Well, Michael's like, hang on a minute. That wasn't part of the uh, part of the deal. But that was a genuine uh, David Copperfield moment. Uh, some great suggestions coming through, so I'm indebted to you for them. Bobby Flay's Restaurant, the Mesa Grill in Caesars Palace, best steak in Vegas. Our walk Fremont Street at night gives a sense of the old... Vegas. I Follow. did that. That was the uh, U2 had the Streets of No Name. That's where they had their film clip, the, the Streets of No right. Name. Fremont Street. Yeah, I didn't. I, personally, I didn't feel that comfortable in Fremont Street. Okay. Um, I've gone to Vegas a few times. Visit Downtown Casino. It's worth the experience. That's from Piggy. Thank you. Zip line over Fremont Street. Go to Fremont Street. That's Nigel in South Australia. Um, I've been to Vegas five times and I'm going in June for the sixth time. I never made it to the Grand Canyon. What can I say? The pool parties take priority. <laughs> Michael said, that's the delineation. All right, you're a Vegas guy. I'm not a Vegas guy. 0433981116. I'm making the list. And if you could, email waitley at sen.com.au. Visit the Sphere. Amazing if you can. Haven't See seen See you two at the Sphere. So this is the big Looks decision good. Joel and I have to make is – it's uh, second mortgage territory, but we're there. <laughs> no, no, do it. Do it. You Don't die wondering. Sphere, it sort of feels like that once in a lifetime moment. It's a big decision to make. Don't die wondering. You'd, you'd be more of a European sort of a guy than a Vegas sort of a guy, so... Uh... Don't um, what you probably can't do it because because of your commitments to work. But the best thing to do when you go to Vegas is go over there and stay up all night and then go to bed like at four a.m. in the morning. Stay up till one. Doesn't st- feel like sleep. Me, does it? Wayne? Get up at one p.m. No, no. I'll tell you why. Then you stay on Australian time. So it actually works if you no, stay I, up all no, night. I need to get on American time. You do. I'm actually working. I know. Oh, really? that's uh, I think Kylie Minogue has a six months sitting in Vegas. She does, but she's off for this period of time. She, so we're going to miss on that. Front, I actually went to my honeymoon in Vegas. That's how much I love Vegas. I uh, dragged my wife to Vegas for the honeymoon. 
How good? Really? Well, because I tell you, it, it, it's a bit sad, but um, the tsunami came and uh, wiped out the Maldives. And oh. I was drunk on a plane one night from Singapore to London, and I was probably annoying the hell out of her. And I promised her in my state that we would go to the Maldives when we got married. And the tsunami came and wiped it out. So I said, oh, well, that was your suggestion. Now mine works. It's Vegas. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Help me uh, and Waitley at sen.com.au. Next week's shows are all from Vegas, so we can keep a diary together as to what we do and how we take on your advice. Um, Is this little... Waitley after dark? <laughs> uh, we're going, actually, we're going to nick over to San Francisco before the morning's done as well. Wayne Hawks is here for Westbury Stud. We better talk a little bit of racing before we're done. Melbourne's weather, partly cloudy at top of 21. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. <laughs> oh, I like this from Adam. This is probably pretty close. Jared, after your first night in Vegas, I can see you spending the rest of your time there sitting in bed reading the bedside Bible. <laughs> Matt, well done, Matt. Good uh, from you. I'm re- <laughs> Thank you for all the suggestions that you've sent through. I've got quite the list going, and I'm also keeping the don't do this list. So thanks can for I that. Can I tell you, folks, I know it's radio, but Jared is genuinely writing all this oh, stuff down that you are saying. The do- he's got yeah. a do's and a don't list. It's quite clever. Uh, the only problem is the don't list is bigger than the doodles. Uh, and the emails, if you would. So on, on a few different fronts, if you're going to Vegas for the Super Bowl, we'd love the opportunity to tell Australian stories over there. If you know an Australian who now lives in Vegas, we'd love to share those stories with you. Um, and obviously advice along the way. Waitley at sen.com.au. If you could send the emails, that would be that would be outstanding. A um, little bit of racing. So do we feel like Alligator Blood might have run his last race, a horse that you've been so admiring of? I would have thought so. I mean, he he's a horse that has had so much go wrong with him. And in a footy terms, he's probably had, you know, three knee reconstructions and keeps coming back. He hasn't had it himself, but in, you know, footy terms. So you get to the point where you think of Nathan Buckley and James Hurd and all these superstar players. When you get to the end, the end is the end, isn't it? Yep. You know, Joel Selwood, it's not how you want to finish and the Black Caviar Wink stories are not real life. I don't care what anyone yeah, said. They yeah. are fictitious, how you go through and you win at your last start. I mean, Joel Selwood finished on a high. Maccabi Diva did the same thing. She won her third Melbourne Cup. Tony Sandick stood up and said, that's her. Wave goodbye. See you later. So Selwood did that, which I think is the best way to end it. When you're seven years of age, in horse ter- in human terms, that would be... 56 years of age, at a guess. So when is enough enough? I'm glad that they've got the uh, living legends out the, out the back of the airport, yep. that he can uh, he can go and live his life out there and uh, people see him and remember him for what he was because he isn't going to go down as Chautauqua, as Octagonal or a Saintly or a Maccabi or a Winx or a Black Caviar, but he's been a hell of a good horse right in the right sort of, I suppose after the Winx gap, because we haven't had one since Wings. I suppose Imperatriz has a chance to be the yeah. next one. I think come this sort order. of those hardcore wait-for-age horses yep. that are just there year after year But he's got a story because he had a yeah. – he had a his back, he had his spine fused. Now, I don't know any – well, I do have an average back, but the people that are listening that have got back issues, they would be able to guarantee that for what he has done to come out at the top level and still do that, that's a bit, uh, it's a bit freaky. And what gay – Waterhouse and Adrian Bott have done has been nothing short of fantastic. So 
I'd rather finish on the good note where we remember him for what he was than coming back and having a couple of runs that are uh, below par. Yep. Okay. I want to just build your stable for these big months ahead uh, in a moment's time. It, that was it was a great thread to be able to follow some horses through the spring, and they all won. So let's do that again. I'll just check in with Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Vegas is Disneyland for adults. Just arrive and go with it. Shows, yeah. punting, free drinks. What can go wrong? Nathan in Ballarat. <laughs> Plot twist. Jared goes to Vegas, becomes a Vegas guy. <laughs> That's from James. Nice. And Luke on the Gold Coast. Will you be broadcasting from Radio Row next week? We will, Luke. We'll, we'll do the week's shows from Radio Row. Do you know what the weather's going to be next week for you? It's not a good. cold, single figures. It's not good. Not yeah. going gonna to be good in Vegas next week. It's going right. to be uh, average. I just want to rattle through yep. five names of horses that we can follow in the couple of months and keep coming back to. Uh, give me a two-year-old. Valander. He's going to have a jump out. He's at Flemington. He's going to have a jump out on Friday. And he is in the big races, but don't get too carried away with that because the early acceptances are what I just said, early. Yep. So you have to have them in because if you don't put them in and they jump out the ground, nice horse going somewhere, just a bit unsure about part owners. G Hall? Yes, of <laughs> SEN track fame. Verlander. Verlander. Right. Uh, you got one racing in Sydney today that we should follow? Iron Ton is a European-bred horse. So in theory, if you're in a three-year-old race, you're actually six months behind, so he's only two and a half. Yep. Because their breeding time is different to ours, and horses' birthdays are not celebrated on the day. In Australia, the horse's birthday is the 1st of August. 1st of February, it is in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. Ironton. Ironton is in today, race four at the Kenzo track. His only undoing might be that the Kenzo track's a t- rather tight track, yep. but he's a lovely, lovely horse going somewhere, so, Ironton. Yeah, right. Not just for today, but these are for, yes, the, correct. Uh, for the two months ahead. Pesciera. Really nice horse. Uh, paid a lot of money for her. She's nine invincible filly. She had her first start at Warwick Farm the other day, and it was a train wreck. <laughs> she was back on the fence, and um, she didn't go past the station. She went through it. So, uh, no, just never got a run. Still trying to get out at the top of the straight now. So, she's only had the one run, but she's a filly uh, going somewhere. Okay, so those are three new names. Yes. Ironton, Pesciera, and Valanda. Now, two names we know well. Will, uh, will Airman rebound? Yes, he will. He, uh, he his, his poor performance was up the straight at Flemington, and I think it was more to the point that uh, he was just tired and over the top because he ran uh, horrendous. With 500 to go, he was punctured. So he's back. He's been back in the stable only for a week. He looks the, half the size of Mount Kosciuszko. <laughs> he's done super well, as you should over the summer months because you think about it. What? N- not much you, – you, you look at your grass out the front. Your grass is out of control. Yep. Now, in winter, you might have to mow your lawn once a month. Same with the horses. When they go on the paddock in wintertime, they don't do as well. So he's had, he's had a lovely spell for uh, four or five, six weeks doing nothing, and uh, he's back in work now. So he's heading – long-range plan is to head to the uh, the big sprint, which is the TJ Smith in yep. Sydney. All right. Airman, and another we know well, Remark. Yeah, well, Remark's only a couple of weeks off having a, having a trial, and he'll race less than more because it's well noted that he has a uh, – a throat issue, whereas uh, his throat doesn't work 100%. It only works at 80% capacity, and he's still winning. So um, he's a very, very good horse. So you never know. He might end up in Perth in the Quokka. Oh, So we're, nice. we're, we're heading to the TJ. That, that's where we're thinking of uh, going at this stage. But there could be some possibility, some possibility that he might end up in uh, in Perth. And for the people who don't know what the Quokka is, it's two weeks after the TJ, yep. and it's worth $4 million, and it's a slot race in Perth. Yep. 
And then I want to follow one in your stable, Macarena. Macarena, yeah, well, she's back in work and she is the size of a uh, proverbial house. She's done exceptionally well and we've got high uh, high hopes with her. She won, we, we kept away from the big race in Melbourne. We won the, uh, I think it was a calendar presnel she won. It was worth a bit of money and uh, she's back and just going to poke along. You won't see her, probably won't see her in Melbourne, but she'll be uh, right for uh, Sydney okay. in the next couple of months. And dad got glory days. She's just come back super. Going Bolted very, very in well. Sydney. Yeah, did, did a really, really good job, they're, I thought. They're going to see if they can have a lightweight chance in a Doncaster with him. The is Doncaster exciting. is the one race in Sydney. It is probably the one race in Sydney that yesteryear the Doncaster was a, an unbelievable race. It is a race that has got lost in translation. And I think the Queen Elizabeth has sucked a bit of the juice out of the Doncaster because it's run a week later and you've uh, it's an extra 400 metres of the Queen Elizabeth worth $5 million. The Doncaster is the race that probably is lack. So lightweight chance like that certainly does have some chance. Wouldn't have 15 years ago, but has it got a chance this year. And then Johnny O'Neill gave us – he had one for the battlers. Remember Jimmy Starr burst onto the yes. scene? He's in the – He's going to race on Saturday at Caulfield. So that's a little pot that we're going to file, follow. Ironton, Peschiera, Volanda, Airman, Remark. I'm following Macarena. Dad's got glory days and Jimmy Starr. So we'll keep it tabs on them. Wayne, good to see you. Good luck in Vegas, baby. Fingers crossed. This is Waitley <laughs> for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Just a quick check-in in the States. Yesterday, we tapped the mood in Kansas City. Today to San Francisco. So Mark Adams is the host of the 49ers Web Zone podcast. He is talking with the fan base every day. Mark, it's great to have you on SEN in Australia. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. G- give us a feel for the reaction in San Francisco as the 49ers uh, book another Super Bowl appearance. Well, everybody's really excited, hoping to finish what they tried to do in uh, 2012 and in 2019. Uh, hoping that this time they'll uh, come out victorious. It's a fan base that that has known success, but it's a, a little way back now. Yeah, 94 was the last year that the 49ers won the Super Bowl. And so when you look at a couple of losses in Super Bowls and then the last two seasons, they've lost the NFC Championship game. Um, that's frustrating, but uh, for this fan base, they're just really believing that, hey, this could be the year. This is really their best chance to win the Super Bowl since 94. How acutely does the, the city ride the fortunes of the 49ers, Mark? Yeah, the the whole Bay Area really uh, is all in on the 49ers. So, you know, I've heard some of the some of the guys on the radio talk about that even when the 49ers uh, are not very good, they still dominate the the, the calls, and uh, that the fan base is is all in on the 49ers even when they're not playing well. So so yeah, they're they're very much behind this team. Has there been a sense of expectation on this team now for a couple of seasons to get back to a Super Bowl? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, last year when Trey Lance and then Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, there was there was a point where we were wondering, hey, what's going to happen? You know, because none of us knew anything about Brock Purdy. Uh, but once he came in and started playing the way he was playing, it, it's like it's Super Bowl or bust. Everybody expects them to get there and and really expects them to win it. And if they don't, then there's going to be disappointing disappointment when you win five Super Bowls in less than 20 years. 
uh, it, it kind of creates the standard that, hey, if we're not winning Super Bowls, what are we really doing? These two playoff games have been won in a different style, having come from behind. What what sort of been the emotional rise and fall in that as uh, as you've had to experience thrillers and come from behind victories? Yeah, it's been different because, for starters, this season the 49ers have just dominated people. And so to go into the postseason and now you're having to come back uh, to win, and really in both of those games, they have not played well. They played really well in the second half on Sunday, but in in the Green Bay game in the divisional round and then last week uh, in the first half, they, they played poorly but still were able to pull it out. You know, and you have the whole thing where Kyle Shanahan, uh, until that Green Bay game was like 0-30, when the 49ers were trailing in the in the fourth quarter and so for them to come back and win twice now uh it's just kind of a different feel for this team does the fan base love brock purdy mark oh yeah they're crazy about him i mean you know how can you not be the guy was barely drafted um you know third string quarterback that was forced to play because of an injury and all he's done is win and he's super humble, very likable guy, and just kind of a down-to-earth, uh, you know, like the guy next door uh, kind of kind of kid. And so he's still really young. And so for him to be doing what he's doing right now has just been really impressive. Some of the criticism that he draws in that national commentary, do, do people get defensive of Purdy? Oh, yeah, very much so. And, you know, and you can hear other – you know, former 49ers like Richard Sherman has been very outspoken. Uh, Brock's teammates have been very outspoken. And the fan base is, is super defensive. Whenever we hear of somebody, uh, you know, whether it's somebody on ESPN or whatever that's calling them a game manager or saying that the team is dragging them along, uh, that's just not true. I mean, you watch the games and you can see that he's different. If you want to say that about Jimmy Garoppolo, when he was the 49ers quarterback, you know, we didn't entirely disagree with those statements, but but to say that about Brock Purdy is just not true. Does it feel like this team is better stocked than when last they met the Chiefs in a Super Bowl in Miami? Offensively, yes. I mean, this offense is really, really good. Uh, defensively, no, they're they're not as good as they were in 2019. Uh, the pass rush is not near as good. The run defense is not near as good. They're probably better in the secondary, I would say, but uh, but I, I I I think overall they're better. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's a better coach than he was back in 2019, but uh, for sure offensively they're much more dangerous. But defensively they're uh, there there's a liability there in that run defense. And so that is definitely a concern. And, and again, when you're facing Patrick Mahomes, who's probably the best quarterback in the world, um, you, your defense needs to be elite. And right now, I'm just not sure that they're still at that elite level. How much does everyone live in fear of Patrick Mahomes ahead of a game like this? Well, you know, in 2019, the 49ers were seven and a half minutes away from winning their sixth Super Bowl and then Patrick Mahomes somehow completed a pass on third and 15. And from that point on, uh, the Chiefs just went on to, to pull the game out. So we're very aware of him, and uh, we're not happy about having to face him. You know, somebody asked me 
because I, I write a, a, a mailbag for 49ers Web Zone, and somebody asked in it, to do, would you prefer to face the Chiefs or the Ravens? And I said the Ravens, even though they have a great defense, simply because they don't have Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, we're we're very aware of him and uh, not crazy about facing him. Does does revenge play any sort of role in a game like this, having met so recently in a Super Bowl? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, the, the players, are a lot of them are different. In fact, I think I saw that both teams have like eight players or something like that that are still on, on each team from that game. So for the players, I think it means nothing. For the fan base, it probably means a little bit. But I think that the 49er fan base is a lot more interested in just winning the Super Bowl than, than in who they're playing. I, I don't think that they, they really even care who it is. They just want to win it. What sort of traveling contingent do you reckon there'll be of 49ers in, the, um, in Las Vegas, given the geography is close? How strongly represented will they be at the game? I think there are going to be a lot of them. The, this fan base travels really well. In fact, they they have been to multiple games in different states where they've come close to outnumbering the, the home crowd. So they're used to doing that, but the Kansas City Chiefs fans travel really well too. So I think it's probably going to be uh, about half and half. But yeah. There's going to be a lot of a lot of fans from both fan bases there. How exciting is it? How, how exciting is the two-week build-up? It's, uh, it's crazy because, you know, we're still coming off of a, a big win in the NFC Championship game, and so a lot of us who either write or cover the team or do podcasts or things like that, we're still processing the game, and some fans that call in or or uh, reach out to us are already asking questions about the Super Bowl. And, and so a lot of them, like for me, I haven't turned my attention to that game yet. Mm-hmm. So it is a long buildup and uh, it's going to be heavily covered like it always is. Terrific, Mark. It's great to get the mood of the city and to tap into the fan base through you. Good on you. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks for having me. Mark Adams there, the 49ers web zone host. So he's talking to the fans every day, the mood in San Fran.